on this episode of Comedy Rewind. Is fanboys more than just fan service to the Star Wars community? What happens when a new director is brought in to completely change the story of a road trip movie? Out of the many, many cameos, who is the most deserving of the Steve Buscemi Sparkplug Award? All of this and more on Comedy Rewind. 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 Push Rewind. I thought this was a comedy show. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to 8-Bits Comedy Rewind. We are powered by Audio-Technica as we rewatch the great comedies of the 1990s and 2000s. I'm your host, John O'Peck, and joining me is one of the scruffiest nerf herders this side of the galaxy, Trevor Scott from the Bitstorm Podcast. How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing really well, thanks, Jono. I've got the I've got the long hair, I've got the big bushy beard. So yeah, definitely very scruffy. <laughs> we are, of course, talking about Fanboys, which is a film that Trev has been keen to talk about for a while. I probably wouldn't have had it on my list without Trevor recommending it as a uh, as a as a good one to revisit. So I'm glad that we we got here. Yeah, I, I I enjoyed watching it again for mm. for the probably the first time since like 2012. Okay, yeah, yep. like so ten years in, and yeah, I had a I had a good time watching it. Yeah, I um, if we get straight into kind of those uh memories and experiences with it, I think I where would I have been? I don't. Know, I this is a hard one because 2009, I wasn't at uni anymore. I feel like I may have acquired like a downloaded version of this yeah. somehow because it didn't really have a wide cinema. It was a limited cinematic release in Australia. Very much so. So yeah. unless you went out to rent it <clears throat> um, in 2009, you probably watched a pirated version. <laughs> yeah, until it got released on DVD here, I believe, in 2010. Yes. And that's when I bought it. Like, um, But the first time I ever saw it, I was pretty, I'm pretty sure I was with... My other half from Bitstorm, um, mm-hmm. at his at his place, and we watched it on um, a most likely downloaded copy with uh, a few other people on a boys' night, and it was good times we had all around. Was this one of those movies that you were anticipating? Because I know, like, um, even back then, you were very much in the internet culture of like following the Kevin Smith um, yeah. movies and websites and like this was one of those movies that seemed to build a following amongst that community that nerd community as well and it was a big big part of like you know Harvey Weinstein's company was involved in it and there was all these rewrites and back and forth and I think um, a, a big fan reaction to get the original cut released and that kind of thing yeah which never really happened uh they they did release a cut, and the release cut has a lot of those extra things that were added into the movie um, after the after the original director was fired. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I did. I read that they tried to completely remove the cancer plot from this, which was it's it's the really heart of the a, whole film. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> like a significant part of the the whole thing, isn't it? Yeah. So at least they didn't go that far. Oh, it just would have been really bad if that had happened. Mm. Uh, so, some interesting names attached to this film, I realised, when the credits rolled. So, Ernest Klein was uh, one of the writers, yes. uh, who's known to most people for Ready Player One. And Definitely. then, um, mm. Kevin Spacey was the producer of the film, which seems completely kind of random, doesn't it? Yeah, but that's through his production company, which was uh, Trigger. Mm-hmm. I've forgotten the name. 
uh, Trigger Street Productions. Yeah, I just wouldn't have thought that he'd have much interest in a movie like this, but I, I guess he was... Um... He did his share of, of comedic stuff too, I suppose, yeah. over the years. Yeah, yeah, he really did. Um, what what was really good about it is the fact that they did actually reach out to you know your George Lucas and um, even Kevin Smith got an early mm-hmm. version, and they they each like uh, George actually signed off and actually uh, did give them a whole heap of Star Wars sounds that they could use within it. Um, yeah. Because of that, they also got. Um, Ray Park into do a uh, oh, yeah. a cameo, uh, and if you if you know anything about like Star Wars <laughs> Episode One, The Phantom Menace, Ray Park plays Darth Maul. So yeah, um, that was a cool moment towards yeah. the end there. And of course, that like you mentioned, they they managed to get Kevin Smith and Muse in there for a, a short cameo. <laughs> a great cameo. Too. One of, yeah, one one of the um one of the funny moments of the of the second half of the film. Yeah. Cool. So, um, all right. Well, let's get into it. The movie costs about three point nine million dollars to make, mm-hmm. which <clears throat> I guess it's for two thousand nine. That's pretty low, low, low budget, isn't it? Really, it's some of the lower budget. And given who it's got in it, like yeah, it, this is really before Jay Baruchel and Kristen Bell were um, names that you could count on. But still, like they were still they. They had been around, like Kristen Bell had already been in... In um, Veronica Mars, yeah. Well, in Forgetting Sarah Marshall too, which I feel like that was her big break, um, aside from Veronica Mars. But maybe they secured her for the role before that movie hit it big. Um, Jay Baruchel, like he'd done like Knocked Up and those kind of supporting roles in some of those Apatow um, comedies and that kind of thing, but... Probably, I mean, he probably wouldn't. Even even now, he's probably best known for like voice acting. From yeah, for his How to Train Dragon. Dragon. Yeah. yeah, so he's not exactly commanding. He, like at, at the time that this, this was filmed, that's still four years away. That's that's a <coughs> lot of because this was filmed in two thousand six okay, originally. Yeah. So yeah, and, it was definitely well before forgetting Sarah yeah. Marshall hit it big. Yeah. Um, two thousand six. That was almost bef- that was before Seth Rogen was even. A big name, two thousand six, because mm. um, uh, the forty year old version and Superbad both, I think, actually no, forty year old version was a little bit earlier, wasn't it? It was, yeah, yeah. But forty year old version was two thousand five because that was around the same time as the start of the Office. Okay, sure. Um, that's that's yeah, that's a good point. But I guess it was knocked up and Superbad that that really projected uh, Seth Rogen, and so this was. Filmed before those two things happened. That's probably yeah, how they were around the same time. Able to is... get a guy like that. Interesting, but there's some interesting like kind of crossovers here happening of um, people who would work together with like obviously Seth Rogen's in this film. Kevin Smith has a, a cameo, and then they they did Zach and Mary not mm-hmm. too long afterwards. Um, Jay Baruchel and Seth Rogen, obviously, this is the end, and um, a lot of Apatow stuff before that so it's not an Apatow movie it's not a Kevin Smith movie but it does feel somewhere in that vein like yeah definitely a, almost like a a b-grade version in, in some ways <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and I've got to say that this probably wasn't as funny as I remember but uh-huh. it was still a good enjoyable film so um 
I did laugh out loud at a couple of things towards the start, and then it was just an entertaining film, even though it wasn't a, a laugh every minute comedy. It still had yeah. some great, great things that they they mentioned, and some kind of still problematic things that got added. <laughs> but we'll yeah. talk about that soon. <laughs> we will. So I mentioned the three point nine million dollar budget. It only made nine hundred and sixty thousand dollars, apparently, mm-hmm. which would well and truly make this a bomb. Yeah, but I, th- I think you'll find that they don't ever take into account the fact that this became a cult movie and oh, of course, when it got released yeah. on DVD and Blu-ray and stuff, like heaps of people would have would pay for it. But it was it's only the box office thing, and it didn't have a wide release at all. Like from what I've from what I read, yeah, which is surprising. Like that in in the you know 2009 it's not exactly um like it's not so far outside the the realm of of the of the the rise of the nerd for them to think that it would do well you wouldn't think like marvel movies were becoming big again and um yeah obviously they were still making spider-man movies and stuff uh, mm-hmm. not too long after that i don't know i'm just surprised that they didn't even really give it a shot because you know, it, it does have, like, in 2009, saying we've got a movie with Kristen Bell and Seth Rogen, you'd think that you'd be able to, to market that even if it's not exactly, they're not the featured players. Yeah, but here's the thing. They don't, they wouldn't have spent the money on the marketing because they're like, you know what, we don't we don't reckon this is going to do big money, so let's mm. not spend the money on getting it to to go. And it kind of... It feels like it was in development hell for so many years, and yeah. then they just kind of gave up on it, put it out, and knowing that they were going to take a loss. That's that sounds right. Like just from from what I read about it today, like the the way that they, or especially Harvey Weinstein, decided like they had to go back and reshoot things like a year later or whatever it was, and cut things, and then there's the big backlash against the cuts. That so the fans come out and complain about it, and they have to kind of compromise and it's just like if you were in this movie you'd be like what are they doing like when is this movie going to come out <laughs> yeah and especially because you know they they did all the reshoots um a lot of this um whole thing they wanted to replace uh a lot of the cancer plot and stuff with raunchy vulgar humor which is you mm. know sort of typical for what was around at the time i.e look at look at knocked up and all that sort of stuff which was the raunchy sort of vulgar Sort yeah. of stuff. They got um, Adam F. Goldberg, from, known for the Goldbergs, to actually write a lot of this stuff. Uh, had a had a different um, a different director, uh, Stephen Brill, who came in. He'd done you know, uh, sort of like uh, without a paddle and um, okay. heavyweights and drill with Taylor. Um, sure. Yeah, had been had been involved in a lot of a lot of different a lot of different movies, and since then has sort of done a lot a lot more. But then he went out and said, you know, that the fans were losers for for wanting to keep the for <laughs> wanting to keep the cancer subject in, and that got Newman back. Kyle Newman, you know, wanting to get back in and and bring it back in, but Newman was just given thirty six hours to reassemble the film and edit yeah, back crazy. in the key motivational cancer plot line. Now I've done some video editing before, <laughs> and for a feature film like that's that's no time at all. Like, no, <sighs> and and for for a movie that, from the sounds of it, like they didn't have that much hope for it. 
Why wouldn't they just give him a week <laughs> to edit it? <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> push push the release date or whatever. Like, I don't I don't know if you can do that with movies like like you yep. can with with video games and stuff. But anyway, uh, so with all this in mind, Trevor, what do you think the Rotten Tomato score is? If you don't already know, um, so I did find out, but I guessed before that, okay. um, and got it wrong. Okay. This is well, one of the first times I've actually really got it wrong. I went for forty five. And it's way down at thirty-two, and it's way down to thirty-two, and I'm like, I'm ha- I'm happy to I'm happy to eat that. I'm happy to win, uh, win that. I like this a lot more. Um, turns out that I'm closer closer with what the fans thought, which is around the, you know, they were around the fifty-two percent. So I'm in I'm in just the, yeah, you know, the half of the fans who actually enjoyed it. <laughs> You're in um, good company. <laughs> it's it's not surprising that it was polarizing. Like I could see like. I don't know if you if you don't have a love for Star Wars. I wonder how much you'd enjoy this movie, if at all. Mm-hmm. Um, not not to say that's all it is, but it's certainly held together by that um, and appreciating, uh, you know, that kind of community. I think I've got a couple comments here: one positive, one negative. So the Daily Gazette said it's a bombardment of trivial encounters that does not always hit its target. Mm. Um, and I can see where that comes from. It is kind of one hijink after another in this movie, and some of them are kind of like, all right, what's what's the next thing? And oh, there, there's a big misunderstanding here. These, they're, they're hookers. They're, they're in a gay biker club. They're, you know, getting peyote from... <laughs> <laughs> from from what's his name? Uh, uh, Danny Trejo. Yeah, Danny Trejo. <laughs> he speaks. He calls himself the chief in the third chief, person, yeah. and then has to explain about the third person. It's like, oh, that's yeah. that's a bit unusual, but yeah. So there's there's just kind of one thing after another, and some of them are, are great, and some of them probably less great. But um, I certainly understand that criticism. But the positive comment I've got here from the Cleveland Plain Dealer said fanboys laughs with Eric and the gang, not at them. It celebrates how pop culture can bring people together and that a dream is important, even if it only matters to you. Mm. And I thought that's a really sweet way of summing up what this movie's about, really. Like, it's, um, yeah. you know, there's, there's times where you go, yeah, like, why are you guys so obsessed with this thing that you're after? But, um, you know, everyone's got to have a dream, right? Oh, 100%. Um, mm. and, and look, I think what, what I did like about this, this film is the friendship was the heart of the feeling, the, the heart of the film and the road trip was just, you know, it was a reason as to why we were watching these people, but really yeah. we were, we were just getting to know these, these different people who are all at different places in their life. And yeah, then when, you know, one of them finds out that they're dying, dying from cancer, then all of a sudden they all sort of get together and it's like, let's, let's do one big thing just to, um, just to really enjoy uh, yeah. our friendship together. Even though, you know, <laughs> Linus is sort of saying, you know, just, just because I'm doing this with you doesn't mean that we're, we're good. You kind of tell that, no, they're, they're actually, they this is on their way to, men- to mending their relationship. And, um, it's good to sort of see where where their friendship ends up at the very end. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, number one song when the movie released. 
Do you have any guesses? You've you've done pretty well with this. In the yes, past, I have. But uh... okay, two thousand and nine, June okay. for Australian limited release. Okay, so we'll go June. Um, LMFAO. Uh, the answer is party rock. Party rock anthem. <laughs> That's a pretty good guess. I, I feel like they may have been a little bit later, like maybe. I mean, you you can correct me if you if you know that I'm wrong, but I I thought that they were a year or two later. But anyway, uh, it's Black Eyed Peas and it's Boom Boom Pow, which oh, of course it is is a song that I don't remember. Um, it was followed on the charts. Oh wow, by... Party Rock Anthem is 2011. Wow, I was yeah, way, well yeah. out by that. But Boom Boom Pow, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so Boom Boom Pow had a good like uh, six weeks, and then I got a feeling was immediately after it, mm. like another seven or eight weeks. So Black Eyed Peas had a pretty good run in mid two thousand nine. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, what have you done for me lately? Um, we'll just keep it to the main cast because there's a lot of cameos in this movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a lot. Um, Jay Baruchel has just done a TV series called The Moody's, apparently, which I mm-hmm. have not seen. Uh, Sam Huntington, who plays, I guess, the the main character in this film, Eric, he uh, was on a series this year called A Million Little Things. I did note that he was um, a voice role in Days Gone, which is a video game that I love. It's a few years old now, but I just thought it was interesting that he wasn't like a main role. It was just listed him as, as being in the game. So mm-hmm. maybe he does a bit of voice work here and there. Christopher Rodriguez Marquette, who played Linus. Um, yep. He's in Barry, which is a fantastic series oh, on HBO. Brilliant. And he did like, I feel like it was at least five episodes um, in the first couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. So pretty key, pretty key role. Dan Fogler, who I know you're a big fan of. Um, he's he's had he's probably had the best career to come out of this apart from Kristen Bell and yeah, um, out of the, out of the guys he's definitely yeah, had the best career. Yeah. And uh, Jay Baruchel, maybe you could you could make a case for but um, oh, yeah, ju- yeah. just just this year alone I've got him down for The Walking Dead. He's apparently done the past few seasons of that. Yep. Um DC League of Super Pets, which is a animated film. I think it's out around about now. Yep. Um, he plays Carl slash pilot slash racer. I only know about that because The Rock is in it, so that yep. must be a pretty big thing. Mm-hmm. And the, the one that I wanted to really highlight was um, a series called The Offer uh, on Paramount Plus, and he plays Francis Ford Coppola, and he okay. is fantastic in that role. I did not... Like, I watched The Offer about a month ago, yep. and I watched this yesterday, and I did not make a connection that it was the same actor until I read this on IMDb because he's just straight up um, dramatic in that. Mm. Like, there's no, there's not really much comedy to it at all. And he, ha- he even looks like Francis Ford Coppola. And he, um, you know, for, for a TV show that's about the making of The Godfather, um, he really blends into that world of, um, you know, 1970s Hollywood. So, yeah. I mean, I'm surprised that you didn't even um, mention probably his biggest film series, which is the Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them series. I mean, uh, I, I I usually only go for like the last 12 months. If, if he was I can. in Fantastic Beasts: Secrets of Dumbledore, which was this year. Oh, was that this year? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't see that on, on the list. So, well, so well he's, he's been very busy then, hasn't he? He's very, very busy. Yeah. Um, well, good on him. <laughs> but, um, he's, but he's also in one of my favorite comedies. Balls of Fury. Balls of Steel. Balls of Fury. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, which one day we'll get to talk about, maybe. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Depends <laughs> if I can get you to watch it or not. No, I have seen it. I just remember not loving it when I watched it. So that'll Fair be a enough. tough one to get me to go. Fair back enough. To. Um, Kristen Bell. I love it because of how stupid it is. But anyway. Sure. Kristen I Bell. Um, a voice role in Central Park, which I think that's an Apple. Yeah, Apple TV animated yeah. series. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's by the um by the makers of Bob's Burgers. Yeah, but it's a musical it. series. Um, okay, sure. Yeah, she was so in that's... a little show called The Good Place. <laughs> yes, she was indeed. Um, she's doing a lot of TV shows lately. So Do Re Me, uh, Do Ray and Me is another mm-hmm. TV series she's done that's run um twenty six episodes last year and this year. I haven't seen that one. I don't know what it is. Um, but then I did watch this one, The Woman in the House Across the Street from the Girl in the Window. Yeah, I haven't watched Net- that yet. That's that's been on my on my list for a little while. Yeah, but, um, so that, that's a Netflix miniseries. Um, I watched the whole thing and didn't realize that it was satire, apparently, um, mm. which would probably change the way that I interpreted it completely because I just thought it was a little bit dumb. And then at the end, very dumb. So, um, yeah, make sure when you watch that, you know that it's satire, and that might m- make you enjoy it a lot more. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I, I kind of knew it was satire just by like, um, n- I mean, the no- name knowing the- knowing the name of of the thing, like how big it is, <laughs> how long yeah. it is, like it's it's going for the comedy. Um, yes, I should have clicked, and there was, yeah. and now that I think back, I'm like, yeah, that. She's got this phobia of rain. And I'm like, yeah, that, that is kind of... I don't know if that's a real thing. or, or Anyway. It probably is. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it is. I, I interpreted it very seriously. Um, and that was the wrong way to watch it, I think. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we'll get into the uh, the questions now. What's the most 2000s moment of uh, fanboys, Trevor? Uh, well, given that it's actually a 90s movie, we should mm-hmm. actually change that over to what's the most 90s moment. Yeah, and the it, fact it is that a tough no one. one in this film has like any sort of technology. Well, like, that's not completely true. Well, it's not completely true. But he, um, Windows is kicking around with his little laptop or whatever that's right, it is. Yeah. What, what does he call it? Something. It's got some weird name. Oh, he's walking around the party asking. Oh, that's right. Yeah, for, it's like um, the tough book. Yeah, tough book. I, I, I yeah. guess that was an early model laptop or something, was it? Yeah, and that was um, <laughs> a pretty early model laptop that didn't really have too much of a, a battery life. And knowing this, it would have been running on Windows ninety eight, which mm. is like crazy to think about. Um, is that why they call him Windows? Mm, I ne- maybe I never got that. <laughs> Um, yeah, it, it, so you, you're right, it is set in 1998, but there's a few things I, I picked up on that bled into the 2000s, which most notably, as I just mentioned, the online dating component of, um, mm. of, of, yeah. of the first half of this movie, where I guess even in the early 2000s, it probably would still be quite common for people to meet in chat rooms and not know what each other look like or who they really are or how bit old of, they are or how old they are <laughs> um a bit of catfishing early catfishing going on here 
Um, so yeah, that was that was the the thing that I wrote down. But also, the concept for this movie is is very two thousand. Very, like, very much so. It's not um, something you could have obviously done, <laughs> you know, earlier than the two thousands. But um, it was, and and because it was before you know, The Force Awakens and the comeback of Star Wars, it really existed in that in-between phase where it, it's really the only period that something like this makes sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I, I suppose <laughs> the the other most 2000s moment is the just casual homophobia that seems to be throughout. It's um, a lot, isn't it? Like, uh, it, it's, it's Probably the lot. first half of the movie, yes. It disappears a bit towards the end. Like, there's still a little bit there, but it's nowhere near as bad as those scenes towards the start. But even the Kevin Smith appearance is, like, uh, it's it's gay, it's it's gay jokes again, right? Yeah. So, it's kind of just there. It's just running through the whole movie, this gag that, oh, gays are funny, or being mm. gay is funny, or whatever. It's just there. Yes. Um, easy, just cheap, easy laugh. Apparently. Yeah, punching down, not, not. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, so that yeah, that's certainly a thing. It's also also kind of the um, I guess the concept of like what a a geek is in this in this time period is very probably early two thousands. Even though the movie came out a bit later. Um, yeah. They're all these super nerdy guys. If a if a woman has any interest in Star Wars, then she mustn't be attractive because she's, you know, one of the guys or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's probably a concept that's been, I'd say, shattered at least in the last ten years. Um, just <laughs> definitely <laughs> through the reality that we live in, where I guess nerd culture has reigned supreme as far as it's, it's certainly transcended that, above above yeah. where it was. You know, in in 1998, and therefore in in the 2000s as well. Sure, yeah. Like, it's not um, it's not instant bully material to like Star Wars or comic books or whatever. Yeah. Now, I do have a question for you. Yeah, Wars or Trek? Wars for sure. <laughs> I'm on um, the fence because I love both. Yeah. Um, see, I, I've never really, I've never re- really tried to get into Star Trek aside from. You know the J.J. Abrams kind of era early on, yeah. So that that's my, you know, that's my understanding or my exposure to Star Trek. I'm I'm looking to the side where I am right now, and yeah. if I could be bothered, I could actually pull out uh, every single series of Star Trek. <laughs> like I've got them all on DVD, well, um, and I bought Rogan's... them all when they were 180 dollars. <laughs> series. Seth Rogen said that he's more of a Trek than. Than Wars guy, yeah. So, you know. But he he got to play two two characters one one Trek yes. and one Wars, so he got to, he got to bridge bridge the um true bridge the fandom. If, <laughs> I wonder if that was something they added after he was famous. Like you wouldn't have thought that you'd just be like, oh, let's give this random guy two roles in this movie. No, but uh, his his tattoos are just brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> like, that was a fun scene. So good. All right. Well, with that in mind, what's the most iconic scene in Fanboys? Does it feature Seth Rogen? Yeah, I, I would. I would say the um, 
the scene where he's showing off his tattoos and then shows off his um shows off his uh Jaja. His Jaja one uh tattoo going you know he's, he's going to be the, the next C-3PO and all this sort of stuff and it's like oh god <laughs> it's just it's playing to the fact that everyone knows that he was not a good character um, mm-hmm. it, but the thing is that character wasn't for them it was for the kids just like the Ewoks weren't for weren't for the older older people but they were for the kids um, that's definitely one of them I think any all the scenes in the um in the uh, Skywalker Ranch, you know yeah. that's that's super iconic. Yeah, yeah, I think that I think that's it. Like sure. ju- just just those two. There's a f- couple that I wrote down. Like I often write down what I think it's going to be before I watch the movie because that's generally the things that have stuck with me over yeah. time. Um, so having probably not watched this since you know 2009 or, or 2010. The things that I remembered were uh, the Trekkies scene where they, they just all, all fight and brawl. And, you know, part of that is that it was Seth Rogen playing this um, nerdy Trekkie. Like, that. that's just a funny image. Yeah. Uh, it's, the, it's the Star Wars versus Star Trek and that silliness. Um, but the ending of the movie, I actually remember, always remembered the way that it ends mm. with just like, what if it sucks? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because it's just such a, especially for what this movie is about, the whole thing just building up to uh, these guys that are trying to track down an early uh, copy of a movie that is pretty well maligned is mm. is kind of funny. And to end it with that, with that, um, question it also means that linus never said anything about it to them which i I like that he just watched it and was like no you guys have to wait and see for yourself yeah um whoever came up with that line to end the movie yeah fantastic a plus writing couldn't uh couldn't have said it better myself and the fact that they didn't really you know spell it out that linus had died but Mm -hmm. you know they're they're all there to to see it and there's sort of like, this is this is what's going to keep our friendship together and all this sort of stuff. And um, it's like, if this friendship can continue on, you you kind of feel for the, for this friendship group. And it's like, wow, they're all actually, they're all growing up. They're all doing something, you know, that yeah. they really want to do. Yeah, that's and then it. you're right, just you know, <laughs> they. <laughs> They're like toasting to Linus's memory. The film starts, starts, and Sam Hutchinson just goes, "What if the movie sucks?" <laughs> End. <laughs> I wonder what um, I wonder what George Lucas thought of the ending. <laughs> well, for, he he was given the advanced screening, and he he enjoyed yeah. it and gave it his stamp of approval. Like yeah. they wouldn't have added in, you know, too much. Like no. The whole thing is is just a love love letter to start uh, Star Wars anyway. Yeah, that's true. All right, so what holds up the best? Um, definitely the friendship between all of them. Um, and and definitely the the ending with the with the Skywalker Ranch. Um. But there's yeah. there's a lot of troublesome things in in that road trip that kind of feel a bit wrong. <laughs> yeah, I think the um, 
the aura surrounding the Skywalker Ranch holds up pretty well. I feel like that the concept of this location is even more well known now mm. than it would have been back then. But just the fact that they made a movie about Star Wars fandom in general, I think that that holds up pretty well. Yeah. Just because it's, um, you know, if if Star Wars was big in 2009, it's enormous now. Like it's insane. It's yeah. it's, it's it's hard to to say that something like Star Wars is bigger, but it is just for the matter of there's more people in the world and the those people all love Star Wars because, mm. you know, there's a new generation of children. Uh, like I've got nieces and nephews that watch Star Wars and, you know, people that didn't necessarily like the prequels uh, may really enjoy uh, the, uh, you know, what, what uh, Disney's been doing with it. More recently, so I just, yeah, I just feel like um, through even just through sheer amount of content that exists in the world, there's a lot more Star Wars to go around, and that's probably something that keeps this movie relevant in that way. Like if if you're yeah. a big Star Wars fan and you haven't seen this because because it, it kind of flew under the radar, it'd be quite easy to be you know sc- scrolling through the streaming services or whatever and see oh fanboys, it's got some. Star Wars references in the cover art. Maybe I'll, I'll check that out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so, for what holds up the worst, you've mentioned some of the probably more problematic stuff, which I'll let you get to yeah. in a second. But first, before we get to that, there's a few stylized things that come across to me as pretty cheesy. Um, there, like, there's a lot of like you mentioned that. George Lucas gave them the Star Wars sound effects. I feel like they overused some of that stuff, and it's uh, like there's places where it makes sense, and then there's other places where it's very like '90s sitcom to just throw the the sound yep. effects in there. Um, there's there's some weird kind of like there's a lot of cameos. Some of them are kind of rammed in, like Billy D being Judge Reinhold. I feel like it's a joke on top of a joke because exactly because yeah. f- first of all it's like don't say anything about his name it's Judge Reinhold like that would usually be like the joke that you let breathe as he's talking to them but then it's also yeah. Billy D Williams um, <laughs> who they don't make any reference to the fact that he looks like Lando Calrissian this is like a bunch of Star Wars fans here who have been quoting like Lando um earlier in the movie yeah. like it's like that that kind of like didn't work for me like the 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 writer in me is just like no nah, i would have probably handled that a little bit differently um oh i get that i get yeah that. But I, I also get the the where they were going for with the joke is you know um they were able to have him in there and have the joke be about the name not about the fact that he looks like lando kerosene like sure and i like that from a from a comedy point of view of um still within still within the realm of possibility but um just a little bit adjacent to to that yeah and the other thing i wanted to say that didn't sit right with me was the trekkie bullying like why do they hate trekkies so like i know that there's like rivalry it's almost like the console wars but they're actually like fist fighting over Oh, their, yeah. <laughs> fan, their fandom for different stars, for different sci-fi. It's 
kind of ridiculous. I don't know if there's any realism to that at all. Um, it just kind of it, it to me it made the especially the um uh, what's his name the Hutch character less uh, relatable and unlike and less likable, which mm. he was already kind of abrasive to begin with. Yeah. Um, I I, the, I did yeah. I did enjoy him in the um in the in the comic book shop where he was you know they've got the phaser there to to yeah. weed out the, the trekkies um and then you know that that comes back to a head later on but you're right uh Hutch's character was really not a nice guy all the way through and you weren't really um you weren't really cheering on cheering him on you're actually almost cheering on some of the other characters instead yeah and and it's it's like especially being a bit older now than probably what these characters are i'm very much like hey if people are into you know um power rangers let them be into power rangers like yeah. there's no skin off my nose like i don't care what what people are into but he's like taking it personally that that they're in, that they, you know, they say Han Solo's lame or whatever, <laughs> whatever they say, you know, like it's just like calm down, people. <laughs> you're you're grown ups here. I mean, it's 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 a comedy. I get it, but it just seemed like they went so far out of their way. They, you know, they detoured on their road trip to beat up these trekkies <laughs> <laughs> to to basically, you know, give crap to to the trekkers as they like to be called at yes. um at. <laughs> You know the birth, the future birthplace of one James Tiberius Kirk. Exactly, and, and they should really be. Um, like I feel like, as huge Star Wars fanboys, they should probably appreciate what it's like to love something that other people don't get, or that mm. other people think is nerdy or whatever. So you know, come together, everybody, under the banner of of, of uh, geek culture. <laughs> yeah, very much so. <laughs> uh, so. Yes, I'll, I'll say that I went into this going. I'm really looking forward to that uh, to the fight scene that happened at um, at the birthplace of James T. Kirk, and then they went homophobic with it. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. big time, big time. And then I'm that. like, oh, that 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 kind of doesn't like when I was remembering the the scene. That was one of the scenes that I had there as one of one of the highlights of the film. And then I'm like, no, it's not. It's being it's now one of my least favorite scenes because like it it feels like even though I didn't remember it myself like it just doesn't need to be there um mm. then you know they stumble upon a gay biker bar which had one of the best names I've ever seen for a gay biker bar Mantina <laughs> and I'm just like okay that was a Star Wars reference and the fact that it's a, a gay biker bar but then they were made to strip and it felt like you know, going too far. And that was part of the, the vulgar stuff that was added in that wasn't mm. part of the original script. And then, you know, everyone sort of gets all grossed out by the fact that Hutch only has one ball. And it's a little like, oh, yeah. God, like how much can you punch down? Um, I'd forgotten about the, about the rogue leader <laughs> being a 10 year old girl. And <laughs> did they say that they had cyber sex together? Yes. That, yeah, see that they didn't have to add that line in there no. too. Like at least make her like past puberty or something for that. Like at the ten year old like yes. a ten year old's not even thinking about that kind of thing. At least not 
in my understanding of sexuality and, and I've got a ten year old and I don't want him thinking about that sort of stuff yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like So no. yeah. <laughs> they they could have at least said like fourteen or like, you know, I don't know. That that that, that was a poor choice of uh, detail there. And then knowing, you know, what Harry Knowles eventually gets up to, having his yes. character in there is like, ugh, it doesn't really hold up. I mean, but, if we're going to go that path, we can also throw in um, Kevin Spacey and and, <laughs> and, and Harvey, Harvey, Mr. Harvey. Yep. So, you know, the fact that of... they're all involved in this and they're all being, you know, found yes. guilty of, you know, some sort of um, sexual assault. Which is... Yeah, that they're all very much part of the Me Too uh, backlash in around yeah. the same time. Uh, so, I th- I did read that that was one of the big strikes against any momentum for a sequel to this movie. Um, yes, it'd be pr- pretty yes. hard to to get that made without you know someone else stepping in and um, kind of revamping it or whatever might happen. Yeah, but uh, really, they they used Harry Knowles as as. Like, it just happened to be that, you know, um, Harry Knowles was, you know, a big internet celebrity in 1998 mm. with a cool news. So It was a clever you know. use of him as a personality, I thought, to kind of have him as that intersection between their, you know, their original plan was to get the the blueprints from this girl, but then it didn't work, obviously, and he set them up with finding uh, Will Shatner. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm so I'm so glad they actually got Ethan Suppley in to play him, though. Oh, because... he was great, yeah. Yeah, we'll get to him a bit later as well, I think, mm. um, with the spark plug. But um, for now, uh, <coughs> anything else for what holds up the worst, or should we move, um, move on? I think we can move on, yeah. Yep. They're the things that, oh, the the, the scene with the, um, with the escort girls, like... Oh, uh, yeah. It, it seemed to be... A, you know, demeaning their their choice of work, but also I don't think they would have just, um, you know, they would have said up front, "This is it's going to be a thousand dollars for the hour or whatever." Like, they, I doubt yeah. that women will be trying to trick people into doing it and then going, "You're you're expected to pay, you know, a thousand dollars now." Like, yeah, I feel be... like that's a bit of a comedy movie trope to. Yeah. to do that the old oh my pimp's gonna be here soon so you better pay up that kind of thing yeah but um, uh, but that <laughs> that moment did lead into seth Rogen coming in with the, his better character <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then it was actually quite funny to see him like in the middle of that fight like he's chasing down these guys but then the, obviously the trekkies say you know Han Solo sucks or whatever, and yeah. he switches. He instantly switches sides. Like the, the yeah. Star Wars fanboy in him has to win out at, at some point. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> who would be most offended? I wrote uh, Trekkers because they are yeah. the butt of a lot of the the jokes here, um, and th- they, they haven't done anything wrong. They're completely innocent. You know, they're just sitting there twiddling their thumbs, enjoying a different. Uh, franchise and suddenly they are the uh, target of of uh, comedy that's pretty mean like yeah uh, it's um 
they're just like even Seth Rogen's character is just he's the biggest dork ever. I think they put fake teeth on him, did they? Yeah, fake teeth and a fake nose. Yeah, yeah. Like and, just um, just to really just to really geek him up. And to even to cap it all off, they um obviously couldn't get the rights to the uniforms, so they had to wear the like knockoff ones and there's a joke in there about how they couldn't uh display like like the 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 statue of Kirk was even like didn't really look like him. I think yeah, and it's like that's because that's because we got sued and we yeah. were told not to <laughs> not to do this. And it's like but that's exactly. that actually that is perfectly like it does kind of explain probably um, what actually happened is they talked to Viacom and Viacom mm. were like, no, you're not getting the um. You're not getting the actual thing, and they put that actually in there, saying that if you actually do it close, then <laughs> then we're gonna we're gonna sue you, sort of thing. So it's yeah. like, yep, we're just not we're just not gonna go there, and that's enough. Yeah, um, that's it. All right. Um, does fanboys pass the internet relevancy test? I can't think of seeing this anywhere. Really, there's not no. anything in there. Um, Unless, yeah, I mean, most of the stuff in there is already references to Star Wars and stuff. So, exactly. if you're going to reference it, you reference the original um, and kind of just skip over this. H- how would uh, modern smartphones and social media change this movie? Um, well, I don't. I think, well, potentially, <laughs> hopefully, um, Windows would find out a little bit more about Rogue Leader before she <laughs> he turned up there and found out that she she was a 10-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. Um that's one thing that would that would definitely be changed. Uh the um the whole, you know, uh Eric Bottler's character uh getting the ultimatum from his father would have actually just been in in text message not handed to them by the judge. Yes. Um <laughs> like or a phone so call, yeah. There, there would have been, you know, this constant. Um, you see Big Chuck's number come up, and he would, he would keep on, you know, mm. hitting, hitting stop, or, or, you know, sending Decoring. it to voicemail. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there, there, there just would have been, um, just would have been minor changes to the actual, to the actual, uh, story. But for the most part, it would have actually been the same. Mm. Yeah. I could see them doing a thing like, you know, a big, so like go viral at Skywalker Ranch as they failed attempt to get in. And it's through like going viral that George Lucas is like, okay, come over and watch the movie. Uh, But it it works better the way they did it. I think with the whole like (laughs) Star Wars trivia followed by only, only Linus can watch it. Yeah. Um, that, that that was good. The whole sequence at Skywalker Ranch is like you said before, it's very funny. It's it's very um it, it's just a great way. It's like the you know, it's the destination that they've been working towards for the whole movie, so they had to make it memorable and I think they did a pretty good job. I don't know if they filmed anything if it's all a set <clears throat> if it's all a set or if anything there's actually what Skywalker Ranch looks like. I'm not sure. I'm not sure either, but it, it felt Skywalker Ranchy enough that, mm. you know, 
And look, that's where you get the majority of the um, majority of of like the cameos. And yeah, there's a lot. I mean, you got Danny McBride, you've got uh, Craig Robinson, you got Ray Park, you've got Will, Will Forte. Will Forte. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's like continuous, like real good com- comedic moments that um mm-hmm. that just make you feel good about the about the whole film. Yeah, sure. The um <laughs> the, the the threatening to smash the Millennium Falcon that's a that's a funny, pretty funny scene. Yeah. And I just love how Will Forte goes over and picks up the Yoda and it's like, <laughs> Craig Robinson's just looking and it's like, dude, you can't do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. They were, um, a few years later, it would have been pretty hard to get all those actors together, I feel like, especially... Um, 100%. You know, yeah, Craig Robinson and Danny McBride. But anyway, uh, the next question is, could you make this movie today and what would the 2022 version look like? I think that you could make it. Um, I, I, I wonder if you've got a pitch for me, Trevor. Um, so my pitch would actually be the, um, it would be the alternate cut that everyone says exists of Rise of Skywalker. Oh, okay. So it would be people... Uh, some people going going trying mm. to find the alternate cut that you know um didn't didn't have a lot of the um <laughs> a lot of the the sort of things that a lot of the fans didn't like they they expect to be able to find you know a a version of the of the film that they actually enjoy um but here's the problem like i really wouldn't want to watch people who were not liking you know, I don't. I don't consider real Star Wars fans when, when they just shit on like all three new films. Well, sure, at least yeah. the, the second two. I enjoyed them. I thought they were great. But that's that's what I'd I'd look at doing something around that, or or you know where they're breaking into Disney instead of um yeah. breaking into Skywalker <laughs> Ranch. Yeah, interesting. I was thinking it could just be you know Force Awakens, like. Same thing, but with Force Awakens, uh, I like yours a little bit more. Where it's like, yeah, this this other cut of a film that uh, that they that they never got to see. But um, yeah, I think you could definitely still make it. Like Star Wars is, as I said before, it's more popular than ever. Um, the fandoms more common than <laughs> Very ever. Very split though. Yeah, so you'd have to play around with that a bit, I think. Um, you'd have, you know, a character that loves all of the new stuff and a character that hates it all. Um, you know, character that maybe just likes the, the TV series. <laughs> I don't know, the, the, the rogue ones and, and whatever. I, I, I can I can <clears throat> imagine, you know, someone who's all about the um all about the original trilogy and mm-hmm will tolerate the the prequel tr- trilogy but doesn't doesn't care for the, for the new ones and just wants to wants to find that other that other version then you got someone who's who's like I I loved what they what they did with all of them I just want to see what they what they managed to do <laughs> yeah. if um if there's if there's an alternate cut I'm happy to watch that <laughs> I think Dan Fogler would would be the um the one that hates the the new <laughs> the new ones. Yeah. I could see that. 
Okay. Uh, all right. Well, Trevor, it's time for the Steve Buscemi Sparkler Award. Mm. Steve Buscemi. A real spark plug. And this is going to be a, a tricky one because there's a lot of cameos. I'm going to mention some cameos that aren't nominated to start okay. with. Okay. Yep. Um, so Billy D. Williams, Carrie yep. Fisher playing Doctor, uh, Ray Park playing security guard with two swords. Uh, Will Forte, Craig Robinson, Jason Mewes, and Kevin Smith. And of course, Kristen, uh, Christopher McDonald, aka Shooter McGavin. Uh, <laughs> love, love seeing him in anything. I think he's just such a great character actor. Um, so, shout out to him for playing uh, Big Chuck. Mm. Uh, so, the actual nominations that I had. Seth Rogen, he might be in the movie a little bit too much. Uh, yeah, but because they're all different characters. Yeah, like... actually, that's a good point there. <laughs> he gets nominated twice. So, Seth Rogen and Seth Rogen. Yeah. Joe Latruglio, who plays the, the cop um, yeah. in the uh, in the prison, who um, was called uh, a gay slur, apparently, and didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Another another little... little uh, homophobic joke in there um ethan supley as um harry knowles yep. as harry knowles yep danny mcbride had a little bit more to do than the other uh, guards so i threw him in there and then danny trejo as the chief um what's, what's your uh endorsement for my additional one that i add in is actually david denman as Chaz, like the brother oh yes he was um yep Roy from the office. Yes, uh, Roy from the office. Him, and yeah. when I saw him turn up, and just <laughs> how you think, oh my God, he's he's just going to be one of those horrible brothers, and then he stands up for his brother right at the end. It's like, I know it. It just it made me feel all happy that it's like, of course, Star Wars brings them together, and it's like, and yeah. the fact that he goes, of course, it's the wars. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, no, I, I, that was a good moment. Um, <laughs> again. Boba, I think Boba Fags was the the uh, line that he dropped on those um those Star Wars fans outside the mm. the cinema. So yeah, it was a uh, it was pretty like we said before, pretty constant through the entire movie with the, yeah. the homophobic um stuff in there. So, but despite that, a good moment. <laughs> yeah, uh, William Shatner. Um, yes, yeah, that's a good one. I forgot to mention. Uh, William Shatner as like, and the fact that they they mention mention it later on is like, how'd you break in? Was William Shatner part of this? <laughs> like, so they know that he's this sort of this sort of guy, and it's like it just adds to the adds to the comedy. Uh, but no, I think I think you're. I'll have to put my um, have to put my vote behind Ethan Suppley as Harry Knowles. Okay. Um, I I just really really like Ethan Suppley, and I thought he did. He did a great job and rightfully outraged. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you said Seth Rogen playing the two characters, I did think that I should give it to the uh, the pimp with the Star yeah, Wars Roach. tattoos. Yeah. But, you know, Ethan Supley did come in really hot, like almost like the definition <laughs> of a spark plug. He just came in like violent and uh, embodied... That uh, internet um, website blog blogger, I guess, at that point in mm-hmm. in history in 1998, it would have just been a blog, I guess. Um, 
So yeah, we can give it to Ethan. It's um, it's it, it may be his second award. Did we give it to him for Mole Rats? I'm trying to remember way back in the day. We might have the story of Willem Black. Yes, uh, no, the second Willem Black. That is. <laughs> I can't. Rem- I can't remember who else may have got it from Mole Rats, but let's just say it's his second. This is second Steve Buscemi Sparkplug Award. Yeah. Two on the two on the shelf in the cabinet. So well done, Ethan. <laughs> okay. Last question. Is Fanboys still a good movie? Um, I really enjoyed it, even though there was still some troubling things to it. Um for the most part I enjoyed I enjoyed the movie and my wife and I sat there sat there and uh Enjoy enjoyed the trip, so mm-hmm. I will say that yes, it's still okay. Yep, I'll agree with you there. I think any, uh, practically any movie aimed at kind of that teen, young adult, raunchy, you know, audience—not not a raunchy audience, but a raunchy movie aimed at that kind of teen audience—is going to have a lot of those dated, um, kind of prejudicial jokes at people's at different groups expense so Mm -hmm. it's almost not it's not excusable but it's expected i think when you go back to something that's quite old this was 2009 by the time it came out so it was towards the end of the the decade so they probably you know things should have been starting to change around then but you know the hangover also came out that year as well and is is quite similar with that kind of thing so you know um, I don't know that we'll ever get to the movies where it started to change completely from that. Um, but depends how how long you, you <laughs> yeah have this podcast, podcast running. <laughs> oh, I'd have to do it for another eight years, I think, to get into the twenty tens. But uh, maybe um, maybe I'll just get bored and change the name of the podcast to. Um... I mean, still, when you think about it, like as long as you go ten years back, like. Yeah, actually, that could be the new rule. Is it has to be at least ten years old? So maybe twenty twelve, twenty thirteen, twenty fourteen. Yeah. We'll we'll discuss that another time. Um, but generally, yes, I think if if you're a Star Wars fan, it's worth going back to watch this. Um, if any of the the cast from this movie resonate with you, maybe you're a, a giant Dan Fogler fan. Maybe you you love a bit of uh, balls of of fury then uh, yeah <laughs> go back and watch it um if you're if you're a big Seth Rogen fan it's it is funny to see him play a couple of characters like this yeah um so yeah in general i would say it's um it's almost like a a, a nostalgic trip down memory lane to a time <coughs> before the prequels existed like the almost like the purest time of star mm. wars um before everything changed. So uh, there's that element to it as well, I think, which is, is yeah. kind of fun to, to go back and experience. Um, but that's it. Uh, any any other parting words? Um, just that, you know, I would, lo- I would love to, to see them do a, even though, you know, they've got some issues with uh, some of the people, it would be good to see um, a sequel from... Um, with with these same characters to see you know how much they grew up and what what their thoughts of the of the prequel trilogy actually was like. Hmm. 
I, I think um, you could you could set it as I sort of said before. You know, it's the same the same sort of thing where um, they are now looking for the for the JJ Abrams cut of of Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> yeah, it would, it would almost be like a Clerks Two kind of thing, where it's <laughs> where it's like let's see what the characters are up to now. Yeah. That's the only thing I'd like to see. Even though there's there's some people in there that you know were part of this, that because um, it was attached to Weinstein, Spacey, and Knowles, which is you know. But I think you can you could distance it enough. Sure. Yeah. But I would also like to see a proper director's cut of the film that reflected the original vision, getting rid of some of the um, some of the stuff that made it more problematic. It was screened at Sundance or somewhere, not Sundance, it probably would have been some kind of nerd festival like Comic-Con or something. Um, yeah, back, it was um, It was screened at San Diego Com- Comic-Con. Yeah, um, And then uh, would be released like <laughs> six months later. All right. Well, thank you, dear listeners, for joining us. Of course, you can subscribe, share the podcast, with your friends, grab your 8-bit merch at shop8bit.net. You can support us with our Kofi page over at ko-fi.com slash weare8bits. Uh, you can leave those tasty five-star reviews over at Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, in Podchaser. Where can we find you on socials, Trev, and maybe tell us what you've been up to? You can find me on socials at Trev H. Scott on Twitter. Uh, you'll see me like a whole heap of things. That's about it. <laughs> I don't really post anywhere. Um, been up to, like, we've just done episode 296 of Bitstorm. Uh, coming, up on, coming up on 300. And then we'll see what the future of Bitstorm is going to be after that. Very good. Very good. Very enticing. Uh, you can catch me on the socials at Jono himself. Dear listeners, thank you again for joining us on Comedy Rewind. Until next episode, be kind.